Caring for kittens is no easy feat. That's why we've partnered with the National Kitten Coalition to host the online kitten conference, a whole weekend of learning how to care and support the smallest and most vulnerable felines. Join us the weekend of June 10th through 12th. Details and registration are available now at the communitycatspodcast.com. You've tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And today we're speaking with Joe Elmore. Joe joined Charleston Animal Society, which was established in 1878 as its CEO in 2012. He brought 25 years of experience in the nonprofit sector throughout nine states and three times overseas to an organization in turmoil. He stabilized its operations and led it to become a national model for life-saving success in South Carolina's top-rated nonprofit for seven years in a row. Designing and launching No-Kill Charleston in 2015, Joe led Charleston County to become the first no-kill community in the Southeast. This three-year initiative was achieved in its first year in 2013. In 2015, Joe organized a statewide initiative, No-Kill South Carolina, to build the first no-kill state in the South and much of the United States. Having served as chief executive of five nonprofit organizations and COO of a national nonprofit, Joe has spent much of his life defending and caring for the most vulnerable among us, abused children, at-risk youth, disaster victims, members of the U.S. Armed Forces, war refugees, and prisoners of war, victims of HIV, AIDS, and animals. Joe led the effort to pass the first felony animal cruelty law in the U.S., possessions and disaster recovery efforts in 18 hurricanes, and he has managed multiple other crises. Currently, the Charleston area has experienced seven continual years of presidentially declared disasters and or emergencies. Born and raised in the Deep South, Joe is an engineering alumna of the University of Alabama, and Joe has been recognized by the governors of Washington and the Virgin Islands and has received the American Red Cross Tiffany Award for Management Excellence and was awarded the U.S. Department of Defense Medal for his work in America's first Persian Gulf conflict. Joe was named one of nine Maddie's Heroes for inspirational and innovative leadership in its 2015 inaugural class. Joe, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Stacey. I'm I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. So with everything that I just read in your bio, first and foremost, the most important thing all of our listeners want to know about is how did you become passionate about cats? Well, I think, um, you know, as you mentioned, worked with a variety of vulnerable populations. I mean, really, when we say vulnerable populations, populations that are, in a sense, bullied, so to speak. So, you know, whether they're children, whether they are refugees, whether they are disaster victims, you know, meaning bullied by both natural and man-made disasters. Uh, And it led me to, you know, really look at animals, um, finally, um, as perhaps one of the most bullied of our living creatures and you know that goes for dogs and cats of course um and so i just sort of gravitated over towards that um and not meaning that other populations human populations 
don't have needs or anything like that. It's just that, you know, and we all know this with animals, you know, animals, you know, cannot speak for themselves. They're, you know, by federal law property and, you know, and are just in such a vulnerable position. And yet we have so many solutions that um, can um, remove them from being so vulnerable and certainly remove them from being collectively um, and summarily put down or euthanized in many places in the country. So you've worked for many organizations, animal welfare groups right here, as well as what we call people groups, right? What has your experience been in the nonprofit space? Are there differences between organizations like a a Red Cross or a a human service-based organization versus an animal welfare organization? Have you seen substantial differences between those two models? I think um, probably yes and no. You know, yes, in terms of the differences, I think that it's, um, you know, when we're working with humans, you know, we can converse much more effectively with humans, whereas animals, you know, we can't. And then with humans, humans come with fundamental rights by law. Animals don't, um, for the most part. And, And so those are some of the big differences. However, it's, you know, one of the big similarities is that we're all serving people. And the way I look at it, and we look at it here at Trolls and Animal Society, is that we don't serve animals, we serve people. There's a person behind every animal, and we're trying to translate that person's care and concern for the animal, you know, into action, life-saving action in many cases. Now, it's uh, uh, sometimes you'll have the occasional person that's, you know, calling about the neighbor's dog barking and they can't get any sleep and that kind of thing. So you may think, well, this person doesn't care for the animal, but they're concerned about the animal, right? Um, but that's a big similarity is that we don't serve animals. Animals are beneficiaries realizing that there is a person behind every animal. It's not like animal control is out there just roaming the streets and picking up stray animals. It's, um, you know, typically someone has called to prompt them to go out there and do that. And, you know, good Samaritans are constantly bringing in kittens and other animals because they care. So we may think about serving the animal, but really it's that person that we're serving. And I think that goes a long way when we're talking to decision makers and policy makers to, you know, create public policy. Um, But in terms of managing the two, you know, I really think there's so much similarity between managing a private nonprofit and a private for-profit. It's, um, I've managed both and it really is all about cash flow day in and day out. I think that's kind of gives us a leg up in terms of management in the animal world because animal flow goes hand in hand with cash flow. And we know, we know the more we raise, the more we save. And if we're not saving the animals, then the cash flow is not going to be there. Folks are not going to be, are not going to be confident in us. But if we get positive cash flow and positive animal flow, you know, both going in the same direction, then that's a recipe for, you know, thriving, for the animals to thrive, for the organization to thrive, for the mission to thrive. Tell me a little bit about what life is like for community cats in South Carolina. And feel free to tell me like what it was like before you launched the No Kill campaign, No Kill Charleston 2015, No Kill South Carolina, and then where we are today. I'd be really interested to know sort of the the history of what's life like for those community cats. You know, it's just different. And you and your um, listeners are going to know this, where there are good, solid, bona fide trap neuter return or trap facts and neuter return um, strategies, those communities are going to see 
much, much higher um, live release rates of cats and, and thriving communities, thriving colonies, um, so to speak. Um, but it's going to it's going to be spotty. Um, and so when you ask about South Carolina, it's spotty across South Carolina. What we have seen across South Carolina, though, is the communities um, rank and file that have you know solid meaning you know enough decent volume of um, TNR are thriving with, you know, lower euthanasia rates and those that are just engaged in what we traditionally call a trap and kill type of um, strategy um, are not, you know, thriving. Back in 2009, we began to look at this as one of the strategies in the Charleston County area, very much modeled after, I believe it was Feral Freedom, originally down in Jacksonville, Florida, which is not that far from Charleston, and it's um, similar climates, um, you know, similar demographics other than Jacksonville being a much larger community. Um, and so we um, worked with them in terms of, you know, study what they were doing, looked at um, where we could improve upon that and customize it for our community. A difference that we did, and, and then we also consulted experts around the field to make our case to the public and to make our case to um, the policymakers. And so what we decided to do was to just clear the air, um, get public support for it, legitimize it through local ordinances, which arguably were may have not been legally necessary, but it did affirm the strategy so that, you know, folks did not have to engage in this under the cover of night, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners, you know, probably continue to have to do to avoid being reported and that type of thing. Um, it, it's so silly, you know, when we think about it to be reported just for saving one of God's creatures, right? I mean, geez. Um, so anyway, we did all that and made the case. And there were some you know, ways that we did it. And one was we accepted that we needed to work within the system. Public policy and government systems are complicated, but we needed to work within the system. We framed this as a population reduction strategy, which is what it is. We all know that and very much did not um, position it all as a save the cat campaign, so to speak, because we knew we would lose folks on that. We introduced it with data trending and potential. We were looking back then at in 2009 of four to five years of accelerating cat intake. Um, and we used intake as a measure of um, community cat population. And we wanted to legitimize all of this before launching it. Now we got outside funding to propose it to the policymakers. And that made it much, much easier to swallow for the policymakers, you know. Um, in fact, I think they paid, <laughs> this is probably unfair, but I think at times they paid more attention to the fact that, you know, we were coming in with a checkbook. We, we you know, they were not gonna have to pay for it. I think we could have probably with some of the, with some of the um, council members or legislators, I think that we probably could have um, sold them anything as long as, as long as we were picking up the tag, tab, right? But we created a, a large collaboration of um, organizations also. Um, some of these were small, very small organizations, like it may have been one rescuer, traditional rescuer, but you know, had their organization. So when we did written correspondence, we had a long list of organizations. Now, some of those organizations may have been like a large organization, such as Charleston Animal Society. Others may have been a one-person organization, but the fact remains, when you look on the letterhead and you have this long list of organizations that's impressive. Um, you know, so then we, you know, really 
sold it and we celebrated the successes um, each time that we would have a success. Now, we proposed at that time, based on the data and the trending, that we felt in about a three-year period of time, um, we could realize a um, leveling off of um, free-roaming cats coming into the sheltering system in Charleston County. After 18 months, we saw a decline begin. Um, so we were very um, surprised by it that soon, but we celebrated. We celebrated it and we stroked all the politicians, you know, this is all because of you and your courage and your, you know, a for- foresight and da-da-da and all that kind of stuff and just really, really stroked them and, uh, you know, to get their commitment to it, um, long-term commitment to it. And, you know, this is something that, you know, we want to, you know, keep and also, so it's um, the, sort of the state of community cats, so to speak, in South Carolina as a whole, spotty, except for where there's bona fide TNR um, strategies um, in Charleston County. It's very good. I can, I can just throw a couple of things at you. So, so we legitimized the ordinances here in 2010. And at that point in 2010, we had, when we were just starting this out, meaning on a large scale, um, we had about 6,300 cats coming into the sheltering system, or about 31 per capita, about 31 cats per um, citizen in Charleston County. So over this 10-year period, that has reduced down to, um, in 2019, to 19 cats per citizen. Um, Now, 2020 and 2021, because of the pandemic, is a skewed year. Um, we placed some managed moratoriums on the free roaming cat initiative and it dropped all the way down to 12 cats per capita. But the interesting thing about this is that the AVMA, you know, states that the dog, the canine and feline population grows proportionally with the human population. Well, in this same 10 year period, based on the latest um, census, the human population grew by 10%. Yet the community cat population, or let's say the overall cat population has decreased by anywhere from 30 to 50%. I hesitate to say 50% because that was in 2020, the pandemic year. So, but let's say by over 30%. So that makes it even more impressive along with, and if you're from this area, you know this, it's uh, um, the population has just boomed in South Carolina, especially the Charleston area. I think um, the most recent stat I saw was that South Carolina is the third fastest growing state in the country. Um, So with all of that influx of people and development and housing development, we have seen both in wildlife and with free roaming cats, that where we didn't see them before, they're being flushed out. Um, We have staff here who, as recently as five or six years ago, um, bought houses and new developments and and forest around them. And now it's all clear cut with more housing and all that. Well, you know, um, the wildlife, whether it's deer, whether it's free roaming cats, it's flushing them out. And yet all of this would lead you to believe that we would see an increase in those free roaming cats. And yet we've seen this significant decrease in the free roaming cat population. And so, and we we share this data, you know, with everyone. Um, And, you know, it's hard to argue against the data. It's working. We interrupt this podcast for a quick trivia question. Where's the single place with answers to all of your animal welfare questions? 
Yes, even the one that kept you awake until two in the morning. Anyone? Bueller? It's Maddie's Pet Forum. Maddie's Pet Forum is the only dedicated forum for our industry where you can find answers from colleagues fast and free. Stop doom scrolling and join today. Visit forum.maddiesfund.org slash cats. Could your animal welfare organization use a tune-up? Humane Network can help. You can get a free 30-minute consultation to talk through your challenges and get ideas on how your organization can be more successful with less stress. From board development and fundraising to strategic planning and operations, Humane Network has got you covered. Whether you're a large or small, nonprofit or government, it's a live and thriving program led by a certified animal behavior consultant features specially designed training for shelter and clinic staff on enrichment, stress reduction, safe animal handling, and behavior modification. With Humane Network, you receive individualized advice and support customized to meet your organization's unique needs. And Humane Network can lighten your load by taking on fundraising, communications, and other tasks you struggle with. Contact Humane Network today for a free 30-minute consultation. Visit humanenetwork.org. That's humanenetwork.org. Team Dubert is at it again, and now they have an amazing companion case management module that once again revolutionizes how you rescue animals. Dubert partnered with Dallas Pets Alive and the Spay Neuter Network to build a powerful solution that allows you to manage cases of any kind. Whether owner surrender calls or emails, community cat tracking and reporting, Dubert is the only system that integrates two way text messaging, automatic follow ups, and even a rehoming solution that every organization can use. No more trying to manage 10 different technologies when everything is all in one place and tightly integrated. From fostering to transport, fundraising to e-commerce, supply and demand to case management, Dubert has everything you need to streamline your operations so you can focus on saving more animals. Check out the new companion case management module at www.dubert.com CCM and get signed up today. So in terms of your organization, what sort of specific programs do you offer? Do you have a spay-neuter clinic where you do the, um, the TNR surgeries there? Do you have a community cat program or community cat team? How does it work in Charleston? Well, we have um, a number of <clears throat> animal control and control agencies, about six different ones that we work with. Um, we have a number of um, colony cat managers if you will, out there. Um, and we have um, the general public, so to speak. And so this, and we've been doing this for 10 years. So, you know, this is the strategy. Now we also have a feral cat sanctuary as well, which I'll, I can talk about that just a little bit later, but well, it's really important to the overall structure. We just weren't planning on the cat sanctuary, so to speak. It's um, in the beginning um, as part of the plan, overall plan. Um, but we have a clinic here and it's AHA accredited American Animal Hospital Association. So all of the um, true community cats that um, uh, come in, we as an intake, we spay and neuter them and return them. Sometimes the animal control agencies will return them. Many times the public is bringing those in and sometimes they will return them. Now we do that all at no charge. Now, because those are you know, basically owned by the public, so to speak, or basically not owned. Um, those that are, have identified caretakers, let's say colony cat managers, that kind of thing, we charge a nominal fee for the surgery itself um, with those cats. It's, um, but a few years ago, there, there was a feral cat sanctuary um, in a very rural area um, that 
great people. We'd worked with them for years and everything like that, but had decided that, you know, it's just, it's too much um, energy required from them to manage it the way they want managed. And so um, they approached us about, about taking it on. And um, we did decide to do that. We made some major investments in it and we're still making investments in it. And it's, it's about 20 miles out from the population center here in a rural area. We keep it, you know, as, as quiet as we can. Um, we don't want it to become a, um, a, a dumping ground, so to speak, for cats. The only cats that we take in there are those that typically colony caretakers, you know, reach out to us and say, you know, the area has been paved over, which happens quite a bit here because of all the development. Um, well, you know, what is the best option for those cats? Are you going to relocate the colony somewhere? Where are you going to relocate it, um, especially with the the rapid acceleration of development here. So on a case-by-case basis, we'll try to bring those cats into um, the sanctuary. Um, Again, when there's really not a good option for relocating them. Um, And, and that's the, that seems to be the, the primary reason by far that um, um, the colony caretakers or anyone taking care of a colony will reach out to us. Now, sometimes they'll reach out to us and they just want the cats to be in what they feel like would be a much safer place. But we tell them, you know, look, that, you know, that's their home where they are now. You're taking care of them. You're doing a great job and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's really best for them to stay where they are um, until the developers come through, you know, and pave all of that over and everything. But so the, you know, so if I were to recommend a system a comprehensive system, you know, for um, anyone, I, you know, I would say you might really want to think about a place out in the rural community, um, doesn't get a lot of attention, and um, to have for those colonies that, you know, slip through the safety net, so to speak, and there's really no place for them to go, not, not as a barn cat or that kind of thing, um, but, you know, really in danger of losing their home, what is their home, because it's been paved over with development, and it's, um, and there's no place for them to go, really, other than to be relocated in another strange area. Now, on our sanctuary, we have all enclosed by fencing to protect the cats from predators, but you don't need that. It really, it's, um, you know, and we all know this. I mean, free-roaming cats have been out there for 10,000 years, just, you know, getting along splendidly, very splendidly. That's why there's so many of them, right? <laughs> so, so it's, a, uh, you know, but, but we did, we did enclose ours to protect them from predators um, and that type of thing. Yeah, and I've I've also run a sanctuary for cats before too. And I I think before you venture down that path, you need a good team of fundraising folks in your back pocket because those cats, as they age, their needs Mm -hmm. will increase coming from somebody who paid for 50 dentals on feral, you know, cats that were age 12. um, It got to be a pretty expensive bill. So it's just, you, you shouldn't just launch it without some, resource planning behind for sure. Yeah. And that was the, um, and that was the reason the folks that had started it years ago and ran it for about 20 years really asked us to take it on. And, um, and we have a great relationship with them and everything. And, and we had that fundraising capacity. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Stacy, is that, you know, if, if you don't have the financial capacity to do that, 
don't do it, you know, because that, because like you said, I mean, it's like us, right? I mean, as we get older, we become more expensive too, you know? For sure. For sure. Definitely. Um, so it looks like that you have in South Carolina, do you have a, a, a statewide coalition? And, and if so, can you tell us a little bit about it? Um, we do have a statewide coalition for No Kill South Carolina, not not specifically about cats, um, but for No Kill South Carolina. And it's um, it's working, you know, really well. It's, uh, you know, there's we have our challenges for sure that, you know, and it seems like challenges that we don't see, you know, three years later become challenges, such as the veterinary workforce, uh, such as COVID, such as those two combined, such as, you know, the low unemployment, um, you know, just trying to find staff and everything. And then also we, you know, we did some, you know, some things like this, like, for example, um, with the sanctuary that we have, it's, um, and we've got about 20 acres, but we only use about five acres that we've enclosed. But there is a tradition, um, a long-term um, colony cat manager that had probably between 15 and 20 colonies across the entire county, you know, and, you know, the next generation coming in is um, lots of confidence in them, lots of optimism and confidence about them stepping up. However, we have to be realistic and, and make adjustments and changes to support them probably more so than others. So this person, wonderful person, you know, is getting older and everything, arthritis, that type of thing. And some of the cat colonies, and we all know this, you know, are not in the most safe areas out there. So, and, and, you know, she's out at four or five in the morning in the dark, has fallen a few times, that kind of thing. And asked us, that, you know, and told us realistically, you know, I don't think I'm going to find 15 people to step in when I can't do this anymore. Um, the, uh, um, I can make my husband's, you know, help me since he's about to retire, you know, <laughs> you know so I can force him to, but I can't force others, right? So they approached us about taking an acre and enclosing it and making sure that they incrementally over time bring in cats and they knew they were going to lose some cats and that type of thing, simply because it felt like it would be easier for them to find, you know, two or three volunteers rather than to carry it on and to help them with that rather than 15 different people for 15 different colonies all across the county. Um, and, and so that was, you know, something else that we didn't foresee, but we were able to adjust to. Very interesting, really interesting modeling. You know, I was trying to figure out how your local neighborhood can support a colony versus making a decision as to when it's time to relocate or put into a sanctuary and you know, what the obligation levels are there. There's this real flow chart, I think, that we all have to go through in each particular mm-hmm. colony of, you know, if yes, then I go here. If no, I go here. And and it's just different mm-hmm. for every every colony that's out there because you can have a neighbor three doors down who's also feeding those cats. Mm-hmm. And if the feeder fades away, it's okay because it'll they'll get absorbed mm-hmm. by the feeder down the street. But then maybe another area, it's totally not like that. So there's just a lot of case-by-case challenges out there. Um, And you're so right. You know, you're so right about that. It's, um, you know, you may, like I said, a a colony may be 
paved over um, where it's typically being housed. Um, someone, the individual that I was just referring to, you know, would run into um, some of the next generation where the folks that she started these colonies with on their properties and stuff were of her, uh, her contemporaries, but had died. And the young ones come in or they sell the property or something. And then it's adamantly, no, want the cats out of here, that kind of thing. You're so, and, and then each colony has its own, you know, uh, um, characteristics, whether it's, you know, size, personality, cats, all of that. I mean, you're absolutely right with that. And so it's, um, um, and for us, when we did start, let me mention this, we had significant investments through grants from ASBCA the first two years, followed by PetSmart Charities the second two years, and then some other funding so that we could really take a big chunk of this and with all of the colony caretakers, make it free for them as well, because we had the grants for that. But after about, probably after about seven years, we had to start, you know, um, um, doing a fee for the, um, 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 colony caretaker um, cats for those kids. Right, right. That's very interesting. So, Joe, if there are folks interested in finding out more about the Charleston Animal Society, how would they do that? Well, I mean, they can um, go to charlestonanimalsociety.org or they can um, um, email us um, or uh, you know, call us or anything like that, but charlestonanimalsocietyorg And I believe that we just revised our website and, but I'm pretty sure our free almond cat model and everything is on there. If anyone is wanting to make the case to their um, um, public officials to do this, we've got 10 years of solid data um, that we can show and, and compare it with population growth and some of those stats that I threw out at you earlier as just kind of the tip of the iceberg in terms of stats. Um, but the other thing is also is, is we reached out, we weren't, you know, um, um, overly prideful or anything like that. We reached out to um, anyone and everyone that we could get help from, whether it was Dr. Julie Levy down in Florida, whether it was um, um, folks out of Texas A&M, UC Davis, um, Feral Freedom down in Jacksonville, and a few others, uh, you know, just to study and get opinions from a wide variety of people. Um, Brian Cordes was another one, you know, and then we we took those fundamentals and customized it here. And like I mentioned to you, we, we had the grant funding so that we really went out there with a very, very high volume approach, got the population down. And now it's, we, you know, we just don't see the number of cats that we used to see. So, so knock wood, we're happy, <laughs> right? That's what it's all about. And, and, and the other thing is like, you know, just kind of the relationships with the bird enthusiasts. Well, this is Charleston Animal Society. We deal with about 75 species. We have birds in here all the time too. Um, I mean, we have feral cat colonies on our campus right here, right outside our window. And we also have bird feeders for birds up in the trees and things like that. And it works. It works. Uh, rarely, rarely um, something happens. But but with a bird enthusiast and, and we're bird enthusiasts, you know, we tried, we would approach them with, look, we really, we really want to achieve the same impact. And that is to manage this population, this overpopulation downward. And we feel this is more successful. And the key for this being more successful is that um, if people trust the system, they'll participate. People didn't trust the system. They were willing to give it a try and they were watching all of this effort we were doing. And, um, and the phones went off the hook when the ordinance passed. 
they understood that occasionally cats would come in and they were so unhealthy that the only humane thing to do is to um, euthanize a cat, but most of them would be returned. And it's, um, and, and the participation is um, how it worked. We got a lot of participation, lots of calls and everything. And if you don't have it legitimate, legitimized in your community, Folks are not going to trust the system and you can make all the laws you want to outlawing it and people are still going to feed cats. And um, what are you going to do? You're going to lock them up and carry them away in handcuffs. Yeah, try that and see if you regain public office, you know. (laughs) Joe, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on my show and I hope we'll have you on again in the future. Oh, well, thank you. This has been delightful. And it's very delightful. And it's a pleasure to meet you, Stacey. And thank you for everything that you're doing and have done. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think. And a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats.